Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. We kind of left off in chapter 14 with some great things happening as the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas was taking place and coming back and as they gathered back and returned. They reported all the things that God had done and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and how they stayed there for quite a while and how everyone was really excited. And I jokingly said, and they lived happily ever after. Well, we're going to see why that's a joke right now because it, there's always tension in, in our lives. You guys probably have sensed that if you've lived for more than, oh, a year. Uh, there seems to be obstacles that we are constantly having to deal with. Whether it's, you know, I remember when I, I first got my car, it was the tension first was just getting that car. And then I got the car and, oh man, I've got a car. And then the tension was affording gas, you know, to put in the car and insurance. And, and then the car would break down and you'd have to, and, and so that joy of having a car ended up being in, you know, not as joyous as I thought, and it was joy when the bills were paid and all those kinds of things. Well, there's tension in our lives, even as Christians, and we need to be able to see what really matters and what is the focus in these things. When Corrine and I started dating, I had a picture of her that I used to carry with me, and she was wearing a blue dress. I remember it to this day. And that picture meant a lot to me, you know, it's like, oh, there's my girlfriend at that time when we were dating, and I'd look at it longingly and think, oh, she's beautiful, and I had, you know, just this warm feeling that I had looking at that picture, but, you know, if I had the opportunity to spend the evening with her and go out to dinner and maybe a show, whatever, or hang out with the picture... You know, it, 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 wasn't a, it wasn't a competition. I'd go for her, no, hands down. You know, the picture didn't smell as good, wasn't as soft. You know, in fact, it was just, you know, flat and square and just, you know, had no, no life to it. It was only a reminder of who she really was. And really, there's a lot of things that try and bring our relationship into God into something less than what it should be. And we can do that very easily by making it some rituals and, oh, it's Sunday, got to go to church, or, oh, I have to do my devotion, or, oh, I have to do something. And it can become less than what God wants it to be. And that's kind of where we're picking up here in chapter 15, people wanting to make what God is doing less than what God is actually doing. Let's read verses 1 through 4 to start off. It says, Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted 
This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Now, imagine you've heard this great news about Jesus Christ, that he is alive, that your life can be made whole through him, that you can be forgiven of your sin. You've accepted this and you've enjoyed this relationship with God. His spirit has come and, and filled you and you've been touched by him and connected to him in a very personal and powerful way. And you've been living in this life for a period of time and then these people come from Jerusalem, which is the headquarters. This is where it all began. This is where the church exploded, came on the map, so to speak, and dispersed throughout, as we saw, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We saw that the church started here and has spread there. So these men come from headquarters, and they come down and they start telling you, well, for you really to be saved, I know you've been living this life, enjoying the power and presence of God, but for you to really be saved, you need to be circumcised. Now, of course, that's going to mean a lot more to the men than it will to anyone else. But at that time, you would think, oh my gosh, what? What's going on? What, what, what has been happening the last year or so that we've been enjoying this relationship with God? What's taking place? Why, why does this have to take place now? And imagine the bummer that that would fall on you. You'd feel like, you know, that kind of you go, you find the supermarket ads, you know, it says come here and you'll get this for $10.99. You go there, oh, we don't have that any longer, but we have this one, you know, the bait and switch. Well, this is kind of like a bait and snip kind of a thing. I mean, it's just like, you know, oh, no, what's going to happen here? I, that, I, I didn't plan for that. I, I wasn't on board for this. You didn't tell me about this. And so there would be a lot of, you know, just hesitation. What's going on here? What's this all about? And so seeing this tension come in here, Paul and Barnabas start contending with what's taking place here. They're, they're wanting to deal with these things that are going on. And so they decide, well, we got to send some people back to Jerusalem to find out what's going to happen. Now, as they're going to be going back to Jerusalem, turn with me real quick to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. And then stay in Galatians for a little bit because we're going to end up going into chapter 2 in a little bit. Galatians 5, 2. This is Paul's response. We kind of get an insight into Paul's argument with these people from Jerusalem, from Judea, right at the get-go. He says, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Wow, that's some harsh words. What, is, what are you saying, Paul? He's saying there is something that is more substantive than the law and the traditions. Hebrews talks about this a lot. It's a shadow of the things. Jesus, you know, is the fulfillment. The law was the shadow. It told us about, but Jesus is the reality. I had the picture, but now I've got the person. I have the substance. Why would I go back to something less? 
And this is Paul's argument, and this is really the heart of the gospel, that these people from Judea, those who had been Pharisees, as we're going to see who they were later on, held on to these things. But Paul wanted to go further and deeper into the substance of things. Now, as Paul's getting ready to go to Jerusalem, something took place. And now turn to Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 9. This took place sometimes, sometime before the incident that's taking place in Acts chapter 15 that we're going to be reading about. It's taking place in this vein while they are there. Verse 9, it says, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they too to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Verse 11, it says, when Peter came to Antioch, now, we don't read about this in Acts, but we know this took place probably a little bit before this time that we're reading about. <clears throat> when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Sting him there. So there is a point where Peter came down with the others. And before this Jewish delegation came down, Peter was hanging with the Gentiles. He was rubbing elbows with them, no problem. But when these Jewish delegation came down, he no longer ate with the Gentiles. He separated himself, concerned with what they were eating. And so he stopped that connection with them. And others said, oh, Peter's not eating with them any longer. Let's not eat with them either. And so even Barnabas separated himself so that the Gentiles kind of had this exclusion. Oh, we don't follow you. We have our own rules, our own regulation, our own rituals that we follow along. We have to stay true to ourselves. And Paul saw this and he confronted him in front of everybody. He said, what, now you're going to follow the law? You weren't following it a little bit ago, were you? And now you're going to want them to follow you when you weren't even following them earlier? That's hypocrisy. Now, have you ever been confronted by someone publicly? Have you ever been embarrassed or humiliated in front of other people? <laughs> what is your reaction when that happens? Usually, most people, not saying it's you, but most people, that humility comes anger. It's like, oh, they didn't have to do that. In front of everybody there, they could, have, they could have found an easier way to do that. Oh, man, I'm so mad at them. Oh, man. And you, you almost want to get even. Almost, right? 
<laughs> you, you just think, oh gosh, man, if, if, that, if, I, if the tables are turned, oh man, wait till I get my say. Well, I say this and bring this account because now Paul is going back to Jerusalem where Peter is. Back to the people where these delegations came from. You know, when you go to court, they want to try you with your own peers. You want to go to a place where they're going to have sympathy for you. But now he's going to Jerusalem, where this delegation came from, where these people who are coming saying you have to be circumcised came from. He's going on their home turf, so to speak. That, I, that probably has some apprehension because during his journey there to Jerusalem, I love how it says that as they're going there in verse 3, that the church sent them on their way as they traveled to Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. In other words, this group that they're traveling with, they're trying to win their favor. Hey, you guys know what happened? Oh, the Gentiles did this and the Gentiles did this. And everyone was glad. Paul had no hesitation about sharing all the things that had happened. He wanted to definitely influence the people he was with as they were going to Jerusalem. They're going there to be in front of the church, basically, where it started. Those the elders, the head people who are kind of going to make the the Supreme Court, if you will, of the church at that time, that are going to make the judgment. And so as he's going there, they're getting ready to present their case, and he's trying to win as many people over as he can. And in verse 5, it says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up when they get there and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So you get there, and this is the first thing you hear. We saw earlier that there were a number of Pharisees that believed. But it's hard to let go of tradition. It's hard to let go of the things that you're used to doing. Especially in manners that are important to you. Spiritual manners. Customs that you've gotten used to doing. And these people, even though they've come to believe in Jesus and the resurrection... They're still holding on to their tradition, their laws. And so they say, they have to be circumcised. That's the law of Moses. That's what they want. Their focus had always been the law. That was their expertise. And so the law was ingrained in them, those things that Moses had taught. But wasn't, what wasn't as important were the prophets and the things that God was foretelling some of the things that God's shared, Hosea 6.6, 6, it says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. God is saying, I want the heart. I don't want just your rituals. Ezekiel 36.27, it says, And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will put my spirit in you. That's what God wanted to do. That's what Jeremiah 31, 33, or 31 exemplifies too, that I will bring a new covenant. I will do something new among you. That I will write my law on your heart. That's what God wanted them to know. It has to be in your heart. It's not just the regulations. It's not just what you do. It's got to be in your heart. Micah 6, verse 6 through 8, one of my favorite passages. It says, 
With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's what God has been desiring. But they were focused just on the legal aspects. They had forgotten that God was really care, concerned about the heart. And then he, they also forgot about the fact that he was going to bring the Gentiles in, as we're going to see a little bit later. And so Paul comes here, these Pharisees, the believers, but they're still part of the Pharisees, stand up and say, hey, they have to be circumcised. The law of Moses says so. And verses 6 through 11, let's read that. It says, the apostles and elders met together, met to consider, excuse me, this question. And after much discussion, the word discussion there could be debate. Verse 6, much debate, much discussion. Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart, again, that's what we're concerned about now, showed that he accepted them. How did he show this? By giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Important, important verses. As Peter now interrupts this discussion, this debate that's going on. They're arguing their points. They're saying, this is what's happened. They're saying, this is what's happened. This is what the scriptures say. This is what God is doing. Well, this is what the scriptures say. This is also what the scriptures say. They're battling back and forth, ping pong game. You know, what is it? What is it going on? Finally, Peter stands up and he gives this declaration. Years ago, it was back in 1984, I believe it was, I don't remember the man's name, but there was a man who was very wealthy, and they wrote an article about him in Forbes magazine talking about how did you acquire all your wealth? You're, you're an incredible man, how did you do this? And he said, well, I grew up dirt poor. It was a time of the Depression, times were tough. I was married, didn't have a whole lot, but when I had some spare time, I went out and I bought an apple for a nickel. And I polished that apple, took it home, polished it, polished it. I polished it all night. I made it a thing of beauty. Thing just, man, you could see a reflection in it. And I sold it for 10 cents. The next day, took that dime, I bought two apples. Took those two apples home, I polished them up polished them, just spent time polishing those apples up, did both of them, took them out, sold them for 20 cents. 20 cents, I bought four apples. Went out there, did the same thing, polished them up, polished them up, polished them up, polished them up, sold them again 
made 40 cents. I did this until I made a dollar 60. After I'd gained a dollar 60, my wife's father died. And he left us several million dollars. <laughs> Why do you want to work polishing apples when God has left you a mint? The person of Jesus Christ and the faith in him will do more than what your keeping of the law could ever do. And Peter stands up and he says some powerful and important things to them. In verse 8 he says that he gave them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Which is the fulfillment of what Jeremiah talked about. The fulfillment of what Ezekiel talked about. God's Spirit would dwell in them. And now you want to go to what? Keeping laws? when God has made his home in you? Verse 9, it says, He made no distinction between them and us, and he purified their hearts by faith. The purified heart is what it's about. A purified life. How do you have a purified life? Well, there's a lot of things you can do that'll be good for your life to be pure. But none of them will do as much for you as if God purifies your heart and makes his home in you. And the Spirit convicts you of the right and the wrong. He puts the law within you instead of, oh, what do I have to do? Okay, let me read it again. No, the Spirit of God says, stop that. What are you doing? He shouts in your ear, you're not doing the right thing. You're not living the right life. Come on. Let's go. It's a lot better than having to read and follow. Hold on, where's my pen, pencil? Okay, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. No, you have the Spirit. He's in you, he purifies your heart, and by faith, he keeps you there. That's what God desires to do. That's what he did in them. He purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you test God and put on their necks a yoke that neither you or our fathers could bear? Now, a yoke, we don't deal with this, you know, yoke thing. For us, a yoke is what's inside the egg, you know, that's our knowledge of yoke. But a yoke is what they would put on oxen. It's something that would fit around the oxen's neck when they would plow a field. They would put two oxen together, that yoke would bind them together and would help them to be able to control them. That's what a yoke is. And so here he's saying, you know, he put this yoke on them that you couldn't even bear. Turn with me real quick to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, starting at verse 6. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. It says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? 
Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk. God's desire was freedom, not a yoke, not a bondage, not something that would limit you, but his desire was to set you free. Peter's saying, why are you trying to put a yoke on them, a burden that you couldn't even fulfill? We couldn't. And what's great about this is the genuine recognition that Peter has of himself. Remember how we talked about in Galatians, where Paul confronted him and said, what, are you going to be a Jew now? You weren't acting like one earlier. Peter says, we weren't even able to keep it. I didn't even keep this. How tremendous is that, to have righteous judgment, a righteous declaration from Peter. What a relief this must have been to Paul when Peter stands up and he says, why would we want to put a burden on them that we couldn't even bear. This must have just warmed his heart when he saw Peter stand up and say, wow, Peter, right on. That's neat. You're, you're being truthful. You're being real. You're calling it as it is. Thank God when men stand up and say, this is how it is, I was wrong, this is right. When their pride isn't in the way, when their prejudice isn't there discerning and changing how things are directed, when it is genuine, it is the Spirit of God that says, no, this is what God is doing. He purified their hearts by faith. We can't even bear this yoke. Why would we put it on them? That's not right. And I love it because the next verse back there in Acts After he says, why would we put on, the, on that yoke that we cannot even bear? Verse 11, it says, no, we believe it is through grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. It is God's grace, his gift, his unmerited favor. It's something that we do not deserve. God has given it to us. That's how you're saved. That's period. End of story. That's it. And after that, verse 12, it says, the whole assembly became silent as they listened then to Barnabas and Paul tell about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. What a hush that might have been. You know, after all this debate, I don't, my family used to debate. Actually, we used to argue, but we called it debating. You know, we used to, and we were, we were Italians, so it'd, it'd get the volume, I don't know if we didn't have a decibel reader, but it would probably get up there pretty good. You know, and I just got used to that. A lot of times my Family thinks, why are you yelling? I'm not yelling, I'm just talking at you. What are you talking about? That's just how we talk, you know. Here, let me make my point clear. And we would debate. We'd back and forth, back and forth. Well, I think about this, and it's noisy. But then all of a sudden, Peter stands up, he gives this declaration, and it's quiet, and everyone just says, you know, we know he was there when Cornelius and those people received the Spirit. We know he was there in Galatia when Paul and Saul was going there, and he was... They probably heard word of what happened because, you know, bad news spreads pretty quick, that gossip train. And when he stands up and he's just honest and gives this declaration that is just so clear about what God cares about, and this hush just came. It must have been a beautiful moment, beautiful moment. As they're quiet and they think, wow, 
What can you add to the grace of God? Why would we polish apples if we can inherit a million dollars? And so, Paul then and Barnabas starts talking about all these things that they had done among the Gentiles. And verse 13, it says, When they had finished, James, now this is James, the brother of Jesus, not the disciple, because he was killed earlier. He's actually the stepbrother, if you would, of Jesus, because they had different fathers. The brother of Jesus, as he spake up, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. Now, interesting that he calls him Simon and not Peter. Simon is his Hebrew name. Pretty wise. He's connecting him to the people that they're trying to deal with. Remember we talked about when we speak, we want to be effective. See a lot of effective and wisdom take place in these people as they speak. And as he calls them there, he, he says something that the Gentiles, he called them for people to himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with what this, with this as it is written. So in other words, he's saying what's happened is in agreement with what has been written. And then he goes on and he quotes Joel, verse 16. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruin. I will rebuild and will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, now James is chiming in, my judgment means he had a very key role. We know that he was the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem, that he was one of the head of this whole delegation as he's passing judgment now. He says, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Man, if we would understand that. And that word, not make it difficult, could actually be translated, stop annoying them. Don't make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Don't put your little trips on them. The Spirit of God can work in their hearts. Let's not make it difficult for them. Let's not put burdens that they don't need. He goes on because he is going to give some constraints there. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Okay, there's a lot in these verses here. Instead, he gives them a small list of rules and they sound a little obscure to us because again, our culture, we're not involved in this time. You know, we might understand, okay, sexual immorality. Okay, we get that one. But what's this whole idea of, you know, abstaining from food polluted by idols and animals that are strangled? What, what, what's the deal here? You know, what was he saying those things for? The whole point here is to stop making it difficult for the Gentiles to turn to God and to bring peace. When he talks about food that is offered to idols or polluted by idols. The Gentiles lived in a, a place that was filled with idolatry. And much of the worship in these idols 
was would take place in offering sacrifices to these idols animals paul talks about this in length in first corinthians chapter 8 about food that is offered to idols idol means nothing but if it's going to cause your brother to stumble don't eat it because it was a big deal it happened all the time this you know this calf was offered to the goddess of Diana or was offered to whatever. And so now a person comes to faith in Jesus and says, but that's offered to another God. How can I worship Jesus when this is offered to another God? And it would freak them out. And so they would say, oh, how, how do you reconcile this? How do we do this? Well, you guys, don't stumble your brothers. Don't do something that's going to cause them to stumble. That meat that's offered to the idols, stay clear of that. Sexual immorality. That one's pretty clear. It was definitely a part of worship back then in the, the heathen worship and temples. It was a part of their worship. And sexual immorality is a sin against ourselves, the Bible talks about. That you don't just sin against your, you don't just sin, you're sinning against your own body. Because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what communion does that have with this kind of practice? With immorality? We like to separate our lives and say, well, this is my Christian life, this is my personal life, this is my work life, or whatever it is. And, and we don't recognize, no, our life just belongs to God. And God desires us to have a whole life. A life that is whole. And, and so the idea of sexual immorality is going outside of what God's plan is for you. For your life, for your body. And so stay away from that. I know it's a part of their religious practices. It's commonplace. Stay away from that. It's not healthy for you. He goes on and he says also abstain from meat strangled or from blood. This has to do with the Jews. The Jewish law, Levitical law, talked about draining the blood, making sure the blood was gone because you shouldn't eat that because life is in the blood and it was something that would defile them. And so be sensitive to the Gentiles and their worship. Be morally clean and be sensitive to your Jewish brothers because this would cause them to stumble if they see you eating or partaking of life in this way. And so one is a moral issue and two have to do with sensitivity, being careful. And the whole idea is, you know, guys, we need to live in peace here with one another. And so do these things to live in peace. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, why does he say that? This is for the Jewish people who were there in Jerusalem you need your law fixed, you can go to any synagogue and get it. Because it's there all the time. So if you're worried about the law, you can continue your worship, you can go there and get that. But we're going to make concessions for the Gentiles. They do not have to follow these laws. You want to go and hear them? That's fine. You can't. They're everywhere. You can hear them. But these are concessions for the Gentiles. So, in verse 22, Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, 
they chose Judas called Bar Sabbath, which means son of Sabbath. Again, curious name to pick for someone who's dealing with legal matters and the law. And Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. I love that because if you read the first chapter of James, he starts off, greetings. It's kind of, you could see James's thumbprint on this letter, you know, greetings. And he goes on and he repeats these things that we just read. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Not, not very long, is it? Pretty simple letter. Just, guys, here's some basic things we want you to stay away from. You, you do well to stay away from these things. And we're sending these people with Paul and Barnabas because, remember, they were part of the original. We're adding other people to them to confirm that it's not, they didn't just come there and say, oh, by the way, they said we're okay, we're right, and you're wrong. That's not how it is. They send delegation people who have been with them, who were known in Jerusalem. This is what we declare. And it's real simple. It's almost too simple. Man, I don't even write blogs that small, short. You know what I mean? It's like, this is very simple. It's just to the point. It's done. And it's over with. Well, what about the rest? What about this? What about that? You know what? Holy Spirit, he's alive and well, working in the lives of people. He'll, he'll cover these things that aren't covered here. They're free. The yoke, it's broken. It's gone. Don't worry about that burden. We don't want to burden you. We don't want to trouble you. So what's the reaction? Verse 30, the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad, especially the guys, for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. I love that. These guys came from Jerusalem and they did a lot to strengthen and encourage people. What a great thing to do, have people that strengthen and encourage you, that help you, that move you in the right direction and help you to stay strong and not, you know, give in to whatever's going on in your life that strengthen you. What great people these are, how we need people like that in our lives, how I need someone like this in my life. I need people around me who will strengthen and encourage me. Don't we all? Don't we all? I mean, especially there come days where you need it more than others. But they were there strengthening and encouraging the brothers. Verse 33, after spending some time there, they were sent off by their brothers with the blessings of the peace to return to those who had sent them. Now, some manuscripts will say uh, that Silas decided to stay. Um, they believe that's a footnote that goes along with uh, verse 40 because he's there again with Paul later on. Um, 
it's not a big deal. In verse 35 it says, But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Great celebration. This is a monumental event in church history. I touched on it Sunday just talking about there's been different times where the church has had to make stands on what is right, who is Jesus, what is considered scripture, what isn't, what can be canonized that we know is genuine because of the writers and what we discard. There's been times where those kinds of things have had to take place so we know what we believe because of who it came from. This is one of those foundational moments. Guess what? You are saved by grace through the person of Jesus. It is faith in him alone. And what's great to keep in mind here as we read these things and then you read the book of James, remember that James was here when this took place and so the book of James needs to be interpreted with this knowledge. Because a lot of people will say, see, it's by works. No, James did not say it's by works that you were saved. It said that works prove your faith. And there's a big, big difference. And James was here giving his gavel of approval. Ba-bump. It's by faith we agree these things are true. And stay away from these things. Cut and dry. We need to make sure that we do not make it difficult for people to come to faith in Jesus. A lot of times we want to have rules and regulations and we set these standards for people. If you want to come to faith in Christ, well, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And we, we want to clean the fish before we catch it. And that's just hard. I'm pretty sure it's impossible. I'm not a big fisher, but, uh, you know, fisherman, but it just doesn't make sense. And a lot of times we'll try and legislate things to make people more moral. And, and although we have a responsibility to the things of our land and to the laws to, to be involved, you cannot legislate morality or salvation. You can't. It only comes through grace and faith in Jesus. Is there anything wrong with trying to keep our country in a moral standard? No, not at all. We, we have a responsibility to it. But read Jeremiah chapter 29, where God tells the nation of Israel, you're going to be there for a while, about 70 years. Make homes, get comfortable, and make peace with the land that you're at. Because you're going to be there. We're on this planet for 70 years or so. We need to make peace in the land that we're at. We need to do all we can to make it a good place. But just like Babylon never was Israel, this world will never be our home. And so we can do what we can, but let's understand there is nothing that we can do to make people by following rules, by obeying laws, have a relationship with God. That comes through faith, believing in Jesus. And you're forgiven, how? By doing certain things? By asking and allowing him to come into your life. The whole idea and the foundation of this is what G Paul talked about, is he made no distinction with them when the Holy Spirit came in them, 
and they were purified in their hearts. Where? In their hearts by faith. The center of their being was purified as God made his home there. That's what's important. Is your heart God's home? That's the question to ask. Not what do I need to do? What laws do I need to follow? What things do I should I do? Is God's home within you? That's the question. And if that's answered, all the other things will be answered. You don't have to follow a list. Just make your heart his home. Allow him central location to who you are. Allow him to invade every nook and cranny of your life to be a part of it. Why wouldn't you? What have you got to lose? If God's home is within us, he's the one who purifies us by faith in Jesus. We need to hold on to that simple truth, and we need to make sure that we do not make it difficult for people to come to faith. Let's be wise, even as we talked about last time, about being effective and how we present ourselves. We see it so clearly throughout the book of Acts. They're effective. They're effective. They're wise. They're, they're like Jesus. I love reading these things and you just, boy, that sounds something like what Jesus would say. May that be true of our own lives as well. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for the simplicity yet the depth of salvation. Lord, it is available to everyone. It is so simple to understand and to obtain. Yet, Lord, it takes root into the depths of the human soul and spirit. It changes lives. It produces wholeness and holiness. And Lord, we, we read these things, and boy, things could have been so different, God. If these men would have made a different decision, we probably wouldn't be here today. And I thank you for the example of Peter, who didn't rise up in pride and try and put Paul in his place, but was genuine and heard the truth, declared the truth, even was reproved by it at one time. Lord, may we be that way. May we be genuine. May we allow you to, to reprove us, to correct us in areas that were wrong and not be so proudful, Lord, that we're blind to the truth. Father, may our heart's desire, just the simplicity of your good news and, and have faith and grace in you. Thank you, Lord, for just being so clear. Lord, I pray we would take these things to heart and just allow them to soak into our minds and think about them, to, to marinate on these things, Father, for a while and allow your grace to just be so important to us, so foundational to what we believe, Lord, that we would be so dependent on you constantly. Thank you, God, for loving us so perfectly. Lord, may we not settle for less than the genuine of what you are and who you are in the person of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen.